What's up guys, it's Logan. Thank you for stopping in. I'm so excited about this episode. I'm joined by my very good friend, Brandon Martin, where we try to cram thousands of years worth of occult history into one hour. I hope you guys love it. That's coming up next. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Wizard Factory Podcast, where together we explore the universe through ourselves. My name is Logan Hart. If you're new here, or if you're not, hit the bell down below to get notifications every time I'm dropping a new video. Hit the like button as well. Those are like the two easiest and most effective ways to help the channel out, and I really appreciate that. Also, try to watch through to the end. We've got a lot of great stuff to cover in this episode because today, after much waiting and uh, differing kind of schedules and technical difficulties and whatnot, I'm finally joined by my dear friend, Brandon Martin. Brandon, welcome to the show, man. Hey, Logan. It's great to be on here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to getting on a show with you for what, the past couple of years. And like you said, we've had some scheduling differences or technical issues. And, and it's just really amazing to finally be able to collaborate with you on, uh, on such a, you know, amazing platform and amazing, uh, you know, show that you have, because I've been following the Wizard Factory for a long time. And I've really loved it, really enjoyed everything. I turned people on to it. Wow. And uh, yeah, I just, it's, it's a pleasure, man. You know, sure. great to be here. I didn't even know that. I, I really appreciate you saying that, man. Um, yeah, super excited to get into this. It was actually quite a task to even decide what topic to land on here because you're just so knowledgeable about so many things. You know, you've been studying this stuff for a very long time, but, uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll probably, you know, most likely get you back on and we can do multiple episodes on different, different topics here. But today we're going to be talking about the history of the mystery the an overview of the occult traditions and getting into the historical aspect and then you know getting into depth on on a few of those as well so i hope you're excited like we are um thank you for being here um, and watching the content uh, again just getting back into the groove of things so here we go without any more chit chat let's get into it so brandon you've been studying this as i said for for a very long time the the overall topic of the occult so i'd love to hear about what kind of got you started on that journey and in studying this stuff yeah my background's pretty interesting um came from where i was raised my father was a very rebellious individual and he was kind of like trying to live his own life you know he homeschooled me and i had access because of his eclectic knowledge at a certain level uh, access to occult books such as Manly P. Hall, you know, the secret teachings of all ages and, and all kinds of different things that most children would never have to in their libraries. So um, I got kind of initiated pretty early on, though I didn't start to really find the importance into it until, you know, my 20s, because I kind of did what every young person does is go on their own path, uh, especially, you know, in the mid-teens into the uh, early 20s. 
And then once I hit what they call like the age of enlightenment, which is around like 28 to 32 or 33, when your brain chemistry actually changes, all that stuff that really was programmed into me as a, at a young age where he was, you know, like reading, for example, he used to read me the satanic Bible when I was younger. He used to read me uh, the satanic witch, um, you know, just weird things that most kids would never come in contact with. Like yeah. most parents would never be like, hey, I'm going to read you Anton LaVey, you know? Yeah. So uh, so that, all that stuff started to come to the surface after I had started mm -hmm. to do some, um, uh, you know, internal work and some shadow work and really dealing with trauma and just getting deep into uh, Jungian psychology and stuff like that. And that's really when I picked up the, you know, the importance of the occult knowledge and just went head deep into studying the esoteric traditions. And I had no idea where it would take me, you know, like most of us don't. Like it's just, it's a spiral staircase in a way. your destination pretty much. Um, and it's it's amazing to see how far, far a lot of us have progressed, including myself. So I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, wow, I can't believe, you know, that I've come this far in such a short amount of time. But, uh, you know, my background also is affiliated with the punk community, with skateboarding community. You know, I have a, I grew up at a compound called Skatopia. So it was definitely a, an alternative lifestyle, you could say. And in this alternative lifestyle, I ran into all kinds of people, you know, from all over the place, all over the world. You know, I had people coming from Europe, from you know, China, from all over the place to come stay at my house. So I, I would run into this kind of multicultural, uh, you know, background with everybody. And it really helped me to understand, uh, you know, many different mindsets. And a lot of these people were into different things like Thelema, you know, different occult traditions, Hermeticism. And they, they also kind of kicked me in the butt and got me going. But I'd have to say it was really Mark Passio that got me going, you know, and I don't want to like, just keep bolstering that he's the guy who who did it all because he wasn't. But, um, you know, watching his work and seeing the professionalism that he had inspired mm. me to go down a professional route with it and to take it seriously, you know, rather than just doing it as a hobby or as um, something to pass the time. You know, it was something that I was like, oh, wow, like this is, you know, like this is how you take it serious. This is how you can put it out there in a yeah. serious format and and really make it conclusive and build this tapestry with it. So that really was like the foundation of of me becoming proactive, you could say. Um, so yeah, I have a very interesting background. You know, it's kind of all over the place. <laughs> I'll say no. That's a, a fantastic answer. And I'm curious if if you felt like so when you were being read these books, you know, from a very young age, did you fully have an appreciation for at the time or is it something that kind of after as you were coming of age and you were starting to kind of rethink and, and question things for yourself did you start to kind of come full circle and and re uh reinforce those ideas that's a really good question um i would say that when i first started to recognize you know like what i was being read I had no idea the overarching importance of it. So for example, uh, required readings from my dad was like a brave new world in 1984 or the Hobbit, you know, books like this, like he was like, you have to read these books. So I read them multiple times before I was, you know, I'd say 10 or 11. And I didn't really know how to apply that to the current world uh, as it was back then. 
But then I'd say once I hit, you know, 17, that really started to unravel. And I could see the connections between those earlier, earlier, uh, you know, the earlier knowledge I had gathered and applied, uh, applied it to the, the environment that I was in and into the world that we're all living in. And uh, so I was really into allegories. I was really into sci-fi. I was really into cyberpunk stuff and things like this and dystopian movies like Blade Runner. And I was always attracted to these things like Equilibrium, you know, which is oh. a great movie. And and it's like I, I had this kind of intuitive, um, um, uh, you know, like pathway for myself to get to these things. You know, I was just naturally attracted to these things at an intuitive level. and. I really see my awakening was much different than most people. Most people that I talked to awaken right around like 2012, you know, yep. or like the 9-11 event, right? Those would be like the two, two pinnacle places that I hear, like people awaken around 9-11 or 2012. Now we're going to have another one, which will be, you know, the current uh, last couple years, obviously, of what we went through. And it's like, for me, I was kind of already on that journey way, way early on. And I had already seen through the dogmatic ideas of authority. It's just that I didn't know how to apply all that knowledge I had gained. You know, I didn't know how it could be functional mm -hmm. is the, the whole thing. So, and I didn't know what to do with it. You know, it was like, I have it, but I don't know what to do with it. So that's kind of how I would answer that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, just thinking back about it's ironic how a lot of young people that have a really good upbringing because they don't have a lot of life experience, they just can't, they don't have the same capacity to like fully appreciate how good they have it. And the, the good mm -hmm. like information that's being installed compared to other kids, their age until again, it's like, once you finally see, Oh, this is what you grew up hearing or, or, or being told or whatever, and then having some life experiences to compare that off of that you can fully appreciate like those, those formative years being fully utilized for you. Do you feel like that was your experience or did you always kind of have that appreciation? Uh, I definitely feel like that was my experience. I had to grow and develop, you know, I had to do a lot of traveling, uh, not only internally, but also externally. So I traveled all over Europe, I traveled all over America and, you know, been to many different countries. And it was because of that, that I gained a deeper appreciation for uh, the knowledge that we're going to get into today and the knowledge that I've, I've gathered over the years. And so, like I said, it was there, but without comparing it to other people's experiences and how they live their lives and how, you know, they've been socially conditioned or how bad the education system was and, you know, what, you know, trials and errors that they went through in their own life that I couldn't really see like, hey, like, oh, well, you know, I had a pretty decent upbringing, not being socially engineered, didn't have a TV in my house till I was like 15 or 16. It was like, oh, wow, you know, I read books most of the time. I got to live out in the country. I had a skate park in my backyard. It was like, oh, wow, you know, I really did have it made in a certain area. Um, but there was also other things that, you know, other uh, issues that came up with that, right? So there's other uh, tribulations and other um, cons that come up with that type of upbringing, which is, you know, one of the biggest issues that people bring up about homeschooling is like isolation, right? You're, wor you're worried your kid doesn't have enough socialization with other children. Yeah. For me, it wasn't the case because I was traveling so much and I was just around so many people. But I could see that being the case, you know, and it's not like 
I, I don't want to romanticize my upbringing. I had a really good educational upbringing, but as far as like, did I go through trauma? Did I have abandonment issues? Did I have these things that I had to work on in my own life? You know, I had issues. There was issues that all around, all around me, you know, it's just, I had a more stable foundation in education and, and a good pathway to direct myself where most people like don't even have that. They, they have no idea where to look. They just blindly follow what their parents have, you know, laid down before them where their parents have been indoctrinated to the system and, and so on and so on and so on. So I, I even started to question the, the questioning of the system itself at one point. Right. So I was like, maybe I should start to be like one of these kids, you know, cause I was like, is this the right way? Cause I came from the opposite side. Yeah. I was like, should, you know, should I, uh, should I just start being a normie, you know, just yeah. start following the herd, you know? Like so for a time period, I was like, oh man, you know, I, maybe I should do that. But obviously that didn't last very long. <laughs> obviously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the pendulum always swings and it's like, we're always just trying to find that, that medium. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely resonate with what you're saying. I actually was homeschooled as well. So I did kind of have that that isolation in a way, uh, I did, I didn't have the travel and stuff to go, go with that. So I did kind of have that disconnect, which uh, it took me a while to kind of figure that out in like the, the high school years to kind of fully socialize and everything. But yeah, it's interesting how the grass is always greener because it's mm -hmm. like you got the, the good roots, the good foundation went out and then kind of came back full circle to that. Whereas I had the, the traditional like Christian conservative kind of upbringing and uh, you could, you know, I could complain about that, but I choose to see it as that was giving me experience and insight into that psychology so that n now like I've, I can see how far I've come away from that. And I actually feel a lot of gratitude that I did question what I was taught to believe from a young age and, you know, um, yeah, pretty much just just seeing that that journey there. That's very mature of you to recognize that. Um, yeah, I always think you know it's so much harder for other people to come out of the, those conditions. Whereas for me, it was kind of like I had already had a head start a little bit. Uh, not that, like I said, not that I didn't have my own issues to work on, but I definitely had a uh, much easier awakening than most people would have you know yeah um but, but after talking to so many people like yourself or many many other people that came from different backgrounds it's like i can really appreciate that type of gratitude you know like i i see that and i'm like oh that's that's beautiful you know and it's good because you have knowledge where it's needed you have experience in those areas more so than some other people might have so it's a really good way of looking at that. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. Always looking for the more empowering perspective, right? Right. So uh, let's get more into the, you know, the, the history of the mystery here. Um, mm -hmm. If you can, and I know like this is quite the, quite the undertaking, but if, if you can give like a, a brief overview of kind of how the mystery traditions developed from the ancient times and to where we are today. Yeah, it, it definitely is a huge topic to cover. So I'd first like to say that um, I'm no expert in these areas. I've just done a lot of work on this, you know? I mean, this is kind of where I do put a lot of my time now um, is into es esoteric anthropology and origins, you know, because origins will really help us to reconcile 
a lot of the fundamental issues with the dogma that we have running throughout the world, the historical dogma and things like this. Um, so yeah, from my understanding and my studies, I believe that all these esoteric traditions and occult traditions came out of totemic uh, societies in dynastic Egypt. And we can see this in a lot of the, the text and also the symbolism. And if we study the cultures, we can really start to understand like how all this stuff has evolved out of dynastic Egypt. And it's just, it's a really interesting, um, you know, evolution of the occult mysteries because I know a lot of people have issues with the out of Africa theory and I have issues with some of it myself, but I also don't kind of fall into the extraterrestrial uh, interference theory either. I entertain that idea, but I also kind of steer away from that um, because of this deeper understanding of the importance of the culture and these traditions. So I think these traditions started with the earliest nature cults in Egypt. Uh, specifically in the Nile Valley, and I would I would refer to these people as the Stellar Cult, and this would be like the first the first hero cult. And as far as like a timeline, I could give you an estimate of at least three hundred thousand years ago that I've traced this to, based on you know documents from many many different renowned you know authors and and scientists and all this stuff. And that's very controversial to put that number there because a lot of people keep us in the 6,000 year box, or they keep us in like the 30,000 year box with alternative, alternative movements. And I'm saying it goes way, way back before that. Sure. And you can understand this with, with the studies of the cultures and the symbolism. Um, but I would say it moves from the stellar cult into a lunar cult, into a lunar phase. And that takes place about 150,000 years ago. And we can find this uh, as well within the remnants of the uh, anthropology uh, with the osteoanatomy records, which are like the bone records of the people, and also within the symbolism and and the uh, the way the culture is evolving and the way the um, the terrains are being worked with agriculture and things like this, and then we move into what we commonly uh, most of us know as the solar doctrine or the solar cult, which is what we're living in today, the present moment. And the solar cult is the primary doctrine that we all have. We have the, you know, the annual cycles of the the zodiac, which is based upon a lot of the solar uh, astrotheology and astronomy, right? Yes. So we, and and that's what a lot of people base their entire life off of, and it has a lot to do with uh, um, agriculture as well, because we venerate the sun as a life giver, the the bringer. Of everything and 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 you know the energetic uh, force in the universe, and we allegorically look at the sun as a symbol, uh, symbolic reference to ourself, you know, as a son of God or as the light of the world, and you know, and over time, obviously, it's been corrupted and 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 utilized in many different dark ways. But that's how I would put this. I would I would describe the occult traditions starting in totemic. Uh, cultures of early nature cults of the people who are studying nature and they have no words to express these things. So they're expressing them in, in body movement and body language, which became rites and rituals. And they're expressing them through symbolism, hmm. you know, through, through very basic archetypal forms. Cave paintings. And they're cool. <laughs> what is that? I said cave paintings. <laughs> like, yeah. well, like, same cave. idea. Hieroglyphs, yeah, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Hieroglyphics. And I mean, even, you know, even just base like a line, like a straight line with another line crossed over top of it. 
you know, just a, just a cross, right? It's right. like very simple, like two sticks crossed, right? right? And then it advances to three sticks crossed and, you know, and they're trying to build this form of communication. And what they're doing is they're preserving their sciences of nature and of the psychology that they learn about themselves within these modes. And these modes become the occult traditions. These modes become um, the the means for us to uh, to evolve the species, to advance ourselves, and to preserve the 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 esoteric sciences, and and the science is actual real science too. So you have astronomy, you have agriculture sciences, you know, which is where we get a lot of fertility rituals, and we correlate a lot of our psychology in mm-hmm. with the fertility of nature, you know, with the uh, the seasons, the planting of the yes. seed in the spring, in the spring, and the de- development into maturity, and then you know, on into the, uh, the um, fall equinox and then, you know, on and on. It's a simple process, the, the planting cycles. So, and we correlate ourselves to nature and then it advances, the sciences advance. And with the sciences, as they advance, as we understand more about the natural laws, the mysteries of the universe and of ourselves, the things get more complex and they get preserved in mythology, right? So this is, we get a lot of mythology with this. So a lot of the mythology was a way of preserving the, the uh, earliest sciences, and we see that even in the Greek mythology, such as with, um, let's say, the most basic would be like Zeus with the lightning bolt. You know, he's an allegory for the elemental power of lightning, of electricity. You know, right. so it's a it's it's a it's a cover for something much deeper. And from there, you can say we move into the modern history, classical history out of Egypt into the Greek period. And I, I like to point out that a lot of these are pagan traditions too. And I know that yeah. you're a bit, you're really big into animism. So am I, you know, pantheistic, naturalistic, paganistic, you know, these are all pagan traditions at some level. And, you know, we, we see a lot of this being carried on with the Druids, obviously, which I would consider to be like the first um, caravans out of, out of Egypt that's carrying that knowledge into other areas. So like the Druids would be like the high priests that are moving out and exploring other areas. And, and one thing I don't want to, you know, just dominate the floor here, but one thing I would say about that is just remember that when you're moving out of your sanctuary, when you're moving out of your own territory into new areas, you go into fight and flight, you go into survival. So you take minimum stuff with you and you condense all the knowledge that's important into a very simple uh, a mode that you can carry with you throughout the journey. So you don't want to have a whole bag of like a whole library of texts with you, right? Not that they had that at that time, but you can't do that. So you're keeping it in a very rudimentary form, but it has the complexity to unravel itself. And that's the great thing about symbolism is that it just constantly unravels more and more and more. It's fractal, yeah. you know? So you can take a simple circle and it unravels so much knowledge. And that's how they would carry that on into these places of great stress and great, you know, struggles and, and tribulations for their, for their journey. Um, so I think a lot of people think like, oh, they think they come from it from the mindset of our current day. And it really interferes with like putting yourself in the mind of, a, of an ancient, you know, person and, and the struggles they had with learning these things and right. actually and and carrying them on you know that's incredibly profound too what you said about the the um compartmentalizing tomes of knowledge into these simple 
stories because it's like the saying, uh, a picture says a thousand words. Well, what is a myth but a verbal picture you're painting with through through these kind of archetypes and symbolic figures that contain all this wisdom through the power of allegory because it's like yeah you could literally just look at a tree and start extrapolating that wisdom from nature and this is in my opinion how all pagan pagan traditions started was simply by observing nature with the conscious mind and being able to draw those parallels like you said a fractal because that's in my opinion what this universe is is the one song being sung from infinite instruments of vibration all kind of saying the same thing but in different ways essentially you nailed it man yeah. that's beautiful what you just said oh, and you. uh <clears throat> yeah i mean i i think that 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 preservation method is what has allowed the knowledge to carry itself throughout history, even though it's be become fragmented. But the ability to store vast amounts of esoteric knowledge in a simpler symbol is one of the most profound things that we have. And another thing is, is that, you know, they started to preserve this knowledge in many areas, not just symbols. Like you said, they preserved it in oral traditions, right? Mm -hmm. They preserved it in the stars, which were uh, uh, astrotheology, you know, and then it became astrology. And earlier to that was the science of astronomy. So they're studying the stars and then they start to preserve all this knowledge and they and they correlate their psychology to it and they correlate yes. the movement to their psychology and they start to see the, the similarities of the hermetic philosophy of as above, so below, right? And, yeah. and so below as above, right? So we, we're, we're seeing that we're not separate from nature is one thing that we're becoming conscious of because that's one of man's biggest fears is that we're alone here. We're alone in the universe. You know, this is why we make up all these things to like fill this gap that we have, that we're completely alone, you know? And if we can, we understand that we are a component to nature, we can alleviate that, that fear that we're just here by ourselves. If we understand we're part of the animal kingdom, we're part of the plant kingdom, we're part of all these things, and we realize we're not really alone, you know? And this is why I love animism, you know, because we it gets us away from the religious doctrine of like thinking that all this stuff is just spiritualist, you know, like all these, the animals have no soul, the animals have no spirit, They, you know? And that's like in the Christian doctrine, you hear this, that the animals have no soul in certain Christian doctrines, not all of them, and they've changed over the years because it gets complex, but, you know, animism is so powerful. And that's why I always enjoyed paganism, you know? Um, so I've always kind of been that way. I've always been uh, a naturalist, you could say. And, you know, these things, these things, we have to understand that religion, right? Religion had a big role, role in all this. I know that we can... We can attack religion in the institutions and we can attack the blind belief, you know, the blind faith in dogmatic religion, right? And what it's become to this day. But all these rites and rituals were kind of the earliest forms of a religious type of, you know, system that we were developing. And I think it's because of that. Manly P. Hall talks about this a lot. It's because of that that we actually started to advance and, and evolve our neocortex because we were doing these rites and rituals, such as, you know, um, one I could point out as the ritual of Osiris, but a lot of people wouldn't be familiar with that. But you can see these rites and rituals in the Druids, the Celtics, you know, the Norse mythology, you know, the Norse traditions. I know you're big into the Norse uh, tradition. So am I, nice. you know, I got, you know, some Norse symbolism on me right now. Nice. Um, 
Yeah, so it's it's interesting. But as these religions evolved, so I, this is such a big topic. So I'm trying to do the best I can to to navigate and stay oriented here. But as these religions evolved, we started to have these dilemmas with the the priest class, and there became a war within the priest class. You know, uh, I would say in the solar. Uh, aspect when we started to let's say divinize and anthropomorphize the spirits of nature the elemental powers of nature you know where we take something from nature and we divinize it into an actual man that's god right and we see this in the greek tradition Mm -hmm. and then we start to say the sun is actually god and then that man is actually associated to you know, God, we historicize it, right? The idea of the historical Jesus has a big thing with that. So I'm not saying that there's no historical Jesus either. You know, I'm just saying that there's a danger in historicizing the the uh, ideas that are correlated with devonizing a man to that point, you know, and making him a God uh, in our mindset. And this is why the Roman church has so much power. This is why the papacy has so much power is because we've historicized Jesus, you know, that's what their whole throne is based upon is that whole bloodline, that whole tradition, mm-hmm. you know, and the divine right of Kings, you know? And so it's really, it's really interesting. So my point with like the religious thing is that we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater because it actually allows us to trace back our origins. So you can't just say all religion is bullshit. Just like people say all history is fake, right? It's all fake. And what that gives people to do is abdicate the personal responsibility to look into it. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. It's far more complex and intriguing than that. You need to understand classical history. You need to understand religion because that's where you're going to trace your heritage. That's where you're going to trace the symbolism. That's where you're going to trace the mythology, the stories, the ideas, all this stuff, right? And you need that stuff to get back to source, you know, Um, because we're not going to, we're not going to be able to deal with the the problems of the modern day without dealing with the reasons why they occurred. And that to me is like dealing with origins. So it's a big topic. It's so vast and I couldn't expect one person to be able to cover it all. And, um, well, you're doing a great job. I, you know, I appreciate (laughs) the, 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 um, decisiveness that you're using to kind of touch on these points and and tie it all together so much good stuff in there that i'd love to unpack further um really great point i thought about the for me what i think the danger of the the historicizing and the anthropomorphizing and that sort of thing is it, it tends to put too much weight on the symbol than, than just seeing it as a pointer to the greater whole and the divinity of all things. It's not about Jesus. It's not about the, the historicity of that or any of that. It's it's merely an allegory, you know, and you know, I've got my own uh, thoughts on the Jesus figure uh, specifically. I agree with what you're saying about not completely dismissing all of it. Uh, there's some fundamental reasons that I personally don't work with Jesus as like a, a a divinity kind of archetype personally. I'm you know as a pagan, I'm gonna be the first to say if that's what works for you, then by all means, who am I to tell you what to do on your own spiritual journey? But me me personally, mm-hmm. I don't resonate with that uh, particular figure. But you know, and then like the historicity of that—that's a whole other topic. Obviously, rabbit trail all day on that stuff. But what I'd like to come back around to here is 
so you you kind of now painted this this overview of how things progressed and um what i'd love to hear your thoughts on what what does that actually mean in terms of okay well so who who was who was representing these cults as they progressed and uh, like i guess this is kind of part question part me offering uh my my perspective on it because i see the occult as being esoteric meaning the middle of the circle the bullseye towards truth and then religions being the exoteric and much like uh mark talks about sort of like there's the there's real satanism and then there's mini me satanism as the the powers that be tend to sort of distill their beliefs and their practices out but in a very watered down and less potent kind of way so is would you agree that the, uh or would you have a, a different perspective on you know is this like the social engineers going back to antiquity as these sort of ideas and practices and traditions are progressing through these phases and then they're um kind of distilling this out to the world at large because i think everybody can at least uh recognize that most people aren't initiated into the the ideas or beliefs about the occult whatsoever so i mean where is that kind of line between those practicing this and then the common man and and then tied to this sort of progression throughout the ages right right uh that's that's a really good question um i agree with you religion is an exoteric form of the mystery traditions um and of the esoteric traditions that are the most important so it's kind of like the the manifest like i said it's kind of like a mode that we were using at a certain point to to at one point preserve it but then at another point it's it's a pathway it's kind of a slippery slope down into the um the compartmentalizing it to certain power structures and hierarchies you know and that's kind of i feel what you're talking about is like the division between uh what happens when you have this knowledge uh, set into a select group and a select institution you could say and what happens to the common man when they can't have access to that knowledge and how does that divide the species and how does that prevent us from being able to um advance with these with these uh with these extra esoteric traditions so exactly the thing, yeah so the thing i would say is well we have to understand that there was modes for initiation right within the mystery traditions there was a there was a process that you had to go through you have to learn these things they're rite of passages right there's rites and rituals and as you develop into let's say the tribe or the culture or the mini society at that point you you have to go through these um certain types of behaviors and we all know this right as a rite of passage into manhood you know and it could be different it's different for each gender it's different depending on what you're trying to do uh you know what you're trying to apply into the world right so it's not like oh you're just going to be a hunter if you're just a man well no it's not necessarily that black and white but um the idea is that there was a hierarchical system ingrained into that because you know you're not going to understand the complexities of the higher level mysteries without first going through the basics you know but the thing was is they're not preventing you from knowing those things they're just saying like hey there's a there's a process for you to understand 
you know, uh, the higher level sciences and the the higher level understanding of, of the occult traditions, just like with anything, right? Like if you want to study uh, any advancements in science, like let's say quantum theory or whatever it might be, you know, um, trigonometry, you know, something like that, you're going to have to understand arithmetic There's first. prerequisites, you know? yeah. You have the prerequisites. So they understood this. So there was this kind of chronology for you to, or process for you to like progress in these things. And then what happened is that that got compartmentalized in my point of view, compartmentalized into these, into these uh, power structures. And then as that happened, it segregated itself from, they segregated themselves from the common man. And then you get these ideas of the blind belief in authority and that some of us have the right to rule over other people and occult this knowledge further from the other people who we seem uh, to not be valuable or not be deemed worthy of the knowledge, right? So they're mm. not deemed worthy to have this knowledge. And then you get this big uh, power differential between those who have it and those who do not. So <clears throat> in response to this, then you get a big mob of common people who rush the temples and then they force the knowledge out of the temples, okay? Mm. So it's it's an escalation, right? You, you withhold the knowledge and then you have a mob that comes in and forces the knowledge out of the temples. And it's a big, it's a big issue because you don't know how to handle the knowledge. You know, it's imagine if you were like a, a, a group, you know, I know it's, you can't be a group, but if you had a group of people and you went to Harvard and you demanded to have PhDs in neuroscience and neurosurgery, and then you took all that knowledge and you got it, you know? And, uh, and you demanded to have that. And then you went out and tried to perform neurosurgery on people where you had <laughs> never learned how to handle the knowledge, you know? Yeah, so totally. That's a big issue. So they're both kind of in the wrong here, right? Because the, the first thing is, is that you have to understand there was a reason for the societies to be structured in a certain way. And I'm not saying that it's good to withhold knowledge because that's not what I'm advocating for. I'm saying that there's a process, like I, I'm yes. going back to the beginning. You have to have a chronological process of practicing, learning, you know, being able to display, uh, to um, show that you've learned these to things, earn right? It. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, like, to, it's not that you, you can't it. have it. It's just that you have yeah. to earn it. You've got to go through these rites of initiation first. Right. That's right. And that's the biggest thing. So this is where the first secret societies come about, right? Because this is the idea of, you know, once, see, secrecy is re repugnant, right? But what makes secrecy um, necessary is even more repugnant, okay? So Fair like enough. whatever made the, right, so whatever made the secrecy necessary for you to withhold that knowledge and compartmentalize it is more repugnant. So when you have the the new religions, such as the new dogmatic Christian theology coming forward, and they're warring against all the ancient religions, they're seeking to obliterate all the predecessors, all the nature cults, all the pagan traditions, all the animisms and all anything that ties you back to source and, and you know, creation and, uh, and nature, right? For sure. Um, uh, that, that makes secrecy a, ne a necessity at that point. So you have to you have to save the knowledge at some point. Well, sure. You know? It's it's almost like just because there's nothing wrong with where you live doesn't mean you want to give your address out to any and everybody. Like you want to have some kind of like privacy about that because not everybody will use that information in a in a way that's beneficial to you. Right, right. So we want to know like we're not coming from a place where we had the internet in the past, right? So like 
this knowledge was always going to be kind of put in places that not everybody can have access to, you know, not by choice, but just by circumstance. It's almost like a gun safe or something. It's like, it's not that guns are evil. It's just, you want to make sure they're safe from like children who would not know what they're doing and end up hurting themselves or someone. Absolutely. So this is the thing. I don't have issues with a lot of the ancient secret societies, right? I think that's the reason why we have the knowledge today is because these secret societies were actually endeavoring for the benefit of the species. I have issues with the religious dogma that has taken the knowledge that was preserved by the secret societies and the ancients before that uh, and perverted it and inverted it or obliterated it or assimilated it, you know, such as the Roman Catholic Church, you know, that's one of one of their main, main modus operandi is to make sure that all the knowledge that that is uh, that is contending with their authority, with their structures, with their narrative is done away with or used in a way that bolsters them, you know, so it has to be used for their own agenda. So, you know, it's, it's the old thing, you know, they wore it on the Gnostics, they wore it on the pagans, you know, after the council of Nicaea, we had Christians killing Christians. You know, we had, we had people going out and killing Gnostics. We had people going out and obliterating all pagan traditions after the council of Nicaea. So, and it, and it started before this. That's just a good example of that, right? And then you have the mob, right? You have this mob that goes out and they burn the Serapium and they burn the Alexandria of Library, you know, the Temple of Osiris. They burn all these, they burn all these places with all the knowledge that actually is beneficial for them to, uh, to gain freedom, to gain reconnection to nature. Isn't that so ironic, just did, though? Yeah, it's so ironic, right? Ignorance of man. It's, yeah. Right, right. Uh, that's probably one of the greatest tragedies in our history is the loss of that knowledge, to be honest. It, Absolutely. It really just, it, my heart hurts every time I think about it. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, let me, I'll add one more thing into that, um, okay. is that it's only in the past like hundred years that we've had the ability to, you know, put together all this knowledge of the ancient past. You know, it's maybe if you're lucky in the past 200 years, but it's mainly in the past 100 years that we've been able to reconcile all these fragmented pieces from all over the world, you know, of this ancient knowledge that gets us back to our original, you know, traditions and an original um, uh, understanding of nature and ourselves and a way and living in harmony with natural law, obviously. And that's why the mysteries are so important and understanding origins is so important because it it allows you to trace back to when this happened. And it also allows you to trace back why it happened, you know, why these ideas became corrupted. And um, so it's a big thing. You know, I think it's a, it's amazing topic. I'm really happy to be on here because we don't hear about, we hear this in little bits and pieces on, on the, the network and uh, on the other people's pages, but we don't really get to talk about this stuff much. So I'm kind of excited to talk about it. (laughs) I'm loving it, man. I'm already can tell we're going to have to have you back on and and, uh, just continue (laughs) to dive into this stuff. Cause I think we're only literally on like the second question out of this list. Right, right. I was way too, (laughs) my eyes were bigger than my stomach for, for that. Cause it's like, you you know, I want to just talk about all the things. Uh, I love it. This is great. So, yeah, one thing that was kind of coming up for me as you were describing this progression again is how it, it went from the the roots and the origins 
in paganism when civilization was so much smaller. It was tribal. It was just villages where everybody knew each other. And so that rite of initiation was something probably every, most everybody went through as just a part of becoming an adult and, and kind of being initiated as their coming of age. And then as civilizations became bigger and more anonymous and disconnected, I could see that that's where the, the knowledge started to become more compartmentalized and elevated above the common person where it was more ingrained in entrenched in the, the power structures. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, I think that's definitely one of the issues that we see is the struggle of the, um, the exoduses out of the areas and what that means. And then also the evolution of, you know, it's a, it's a very complex thing, you know, because, because, when you're in a sanctuary, that's where growth is going to take place because you're not in survival mode. So like, that's the thing. So we have to ask, why did the growth stop taking place within the sanctuary? You know, so we have to ask like, what happened within the area where evolution was taking place, where the sanctuary was, you know, healthy, what happened within that to actually create that, that hierarchical power structure? You know, because like you said, it was it was cooperative, it was co-created, and it was and everybody had access to it, and it was part of the natural way of becoming an adult uh, in these smaller areas. And as we advanced, the technology advanced, and things like this, the knowledge became uh, disconnected from that, and then you get religious belief systems and religious institutions that start to develop because of that. And, you know, and then you see where we're at today, obviously, with one of the main power structures in the world being the, the papacy, obviously. So, you know, it's, it's extremely advanced and, it, and your questions are on point, you know, and these are the questions that I want to hear more from people. You know, I want to hear more of these questions from people because these are the things you don't, you know, most people can't even deal with. They can't put them put it on the table. And we're part of the Knights of the Round Table here, you know. I mean, that is the hero, the hero myth as well, the Arthurian legend, and it, and it preserves a lot of this knowledge as well. So we got to put, you know, put whatever we have on the table and and field it. You know, we got to say, okay, this is this is important. Let's deal with this right now. So I agree with that assessment. Yeah, getting back to your question, I think that's a, that's an accurate assessment at a certain level. Yeah. I couldn't agree more and yeah just definitely enjoying get, getting into these topics here the um the next question i have that kind of relates to this and we've touched on it a little bit but i'm sure the viewers here already have an idea where i stand on this but i'd love to get your mm -hmm. thoughts on kind of comparing the the pagan versus uh the more abrahamic sort of rooted traditions where you know Personally, I would even say something like the Norse traditions would be its own kind of uh, occult tradition in a way. There is so much wisdom, and of course, with the syncretistic mindset, the truth truth is persistent. It's, it has no borders. It's parallel. So anything is going to be consistent throughout. Uh, but I personally think that the Abrahamics are a, a, a weaponized form of this knowledge that are kind of running this mind virus where people are thinking that they're getting to to the root of it and there's of course a lot of truth built into it but there's something that's 
uh, misaligned and could be stunting the magic of that that individual. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Abrahamic religion and Abrahamic thought is one of the main issues we're facing. And it's like what you said, it's a, it's a mind virus, you know. Real quick and, for clarity too. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but just so just You're people good. understand, I'm not just talking about like Christianity, uh Muslim mm -hmm. and uh and the Jewish faith systems themselves, but even things like Kabbalah, uh Rosicrucianism, things that are rooted in that even but from the more esoteric uh aspect the mystery traditions with the the abrahamic even in freemasonry you know i have a yep. freemason logo behind me i'm not a i'm not a member but i do support the original traditions and the esoteric teachings uh beyond the corruption obviously but i i agree with you i think that um well, one thing I'd like to say is that the Norse, the Norse culture, they are one of the most robust cultures, and they, they had firewalls set up against uh, Christian infringement upon their traditions and upon their mythology and upon their sacred sciences and mythology, and that's why we see that their traditions are so uh, pure today and kept intact because they're so robust, you mm -hmm. know, and they stood against that very. Uh, vigilantly and we see that in other areas too like and we don't uh, we don't ever hear about this so like in the the japanese cultures right a lot of people don't talk about the eastern cultures too much but they actually had laws set up against all forms of religion including buddhism and shintoism so like the japanese would not allow uh, any form of buddhism or shintoism into their country and they were very robust with keeping their traditions intact and if you look at their mythology it's very similar to the norse into uh, the Egyptian mythology because it's all rooted in the same thing. Ult ult ultimately, they're all lining up, like you're saying, with the truth. Um, so yeah, I think it's one of the biggest issues is the Abrahamic uh, traditions. Just like any good master manipulator, they know how to take the truth and twist it and add their own poison within that. You know, they know how to take it and poison your worldviews because of that. And yes, I agree that it's been absolutely weaponized. And it, the only reason that I see it's important is as a, as a fragment to trace back to the more pure forms and the more pure traditions, if you need it. Some people might not need it, but let's say, you know, that's, that's where you're, you're advanced in is the Abrahamic traditions. Well, you may be able to pull out some really deep esoteric sciences mm. from it if you can get beyond the dogma, which is a hell of a task. It's extremely, you know, bagged down. You know, you're, there's a bunch of weight there. So um, I'm not saying do that, you know, but I'm just saying you can pull out some stuff, but I'm, and I'm not advocating for it. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's been weaponized. Absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things like, Sure, you could extrapolate a lot of really profound wisdoms there, but uh, as I like to say, you're drinking from a poisoned cup. You're better off just yep. finding a, a pure water source and not sitting here like, but this is drinkable water. I just have to filter and <laughs> distill and purify all this crap. And, you know, but yeah, why, you why bother? Just go to a better source. And as I say, the way to do that is to find traditions that have an unbroken connection all the way back to the pre Christian era. That's why yep. I would classify the Norse, and that's the one that I most resonate with from a genetic level and just philosophically, I, I really appreciate that. And, and that's that's part of it. That actually kind of uh, leads me into the next question that I wanted to ask you, Brandon, is 
you said that you see kind of the mother of all these mystery traditions going back into very, very ancient Egypt. How would that coalesce with the idea of where, say, the Indo-European traditions that branched off from, you know, the Norse and the Hindu, say, for example, that sort of have that same Indo-European uh, mother philosophy that kind of branched mm -hmm. off? How does that coalesce into this this idea of of the ancient his, uh, history of um, the Egyptian and also mm -hmm. uh, maybe the Sumerian? Because as I understand, Sumeria may have predated Egypt, or am I totally wrong on that? Uh, a lot of people do say that you know Sumeria and like Mesopotamia is like the the cradle of civilization, right? So a lot of people do say that. I take you know like I take a step back from that personally. Um, just because of like what I've studied with the stellar and lunar. Um, but when I talk to people about this tradition of Egypt, I always say you have to go through Europe to get to this because you will find, let's say, for example, you're going to find the most amount of intact mounds from the mound builders in Europe. You know, mm. you're going to find those traditions in the mounds in Europe where where the rites and rituals are being practiced and the the agriculture and the architecture is being advanced in Europe. So it's a that's a it's a very hard question to to answer, but I would say that with the exodus that take place out of Egypt, they go north and they go into the north regions, okay? In the northern regions and from there they start to to uh, you know, colonized if you want to say i don't like using that word but they start to migrate to to the northern reason northern regions of europe and then from there they they plant and they create these very robust uh sanctuaries in those areas and this is why we see so many mounds in those areas and then eventually the church comes in and builds over those mounds with their cathedrals because that's one of the things that they do right they come in on the sacred sites and then they build over it to overlap those traditions yes. symbolically and you know pragmatically for their agenda right of course it's not pragmatically for the for us obviously but for their agenda it's, it works great but um that's what i would say to get back to what i'm talking about you have to go through europe you got to go through the norse, norse traditions you got to go through um anything in europe and europe has a an amazing um robust and um one of the most well-preserved libraries in the world, right? And I'm, I'm not just talking about like one library, I'm talking about just their literature alone is so amazing. Their, their historical literature is some of the most advanced, right? They're so precise with keeping accurate uh, history, um, you know, accounts and things like this. And, you know, everybody wants to go into history's all fake, you know, and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There's, there's a lot of important knowledge there that you have to understand. You got to, the way I look at it is you got to learn classical history. And then if you want to say it's all fake, then you can come to me and tell me that it's all fake after you can demonstrate that you've learned classical history pretty well, you know, before you can tell me it's all fake and convince me of that, you better demonstrate that, you know, history, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so I know that a lot of people, you know, like I said at the beginning, take, a, you know, take a, a step back from the out of Africa Thing. And I think the way that you can trace that is just by the rites and rituals, like what you find in the Norse traditions, what you find in the, you know, the European traditions, what you find in even the Japanese traditions, you're going to find earlier on 
uh, in the in the uh, early Nile Valley totemic tradition. So I would say look into totemic sociology of of northern Africa and look into you know like the totemic hero cults. Um, and I, I can recommend a couple sources for this right now. And I would sure. say look into um, uh, uh, Albert Church Ward would be one person I would look into. Alvin Boyd Kuhn. I would look into John Anthony West as well, who's a renowned Egyptologist. Um, and he bases his work off of another guy that I would recommend who's um, R.A. Schwaller de Lubage. I think I pronounced his last name right. His last name is kind of That's hard to pronounce. That's a fancy name right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I believe he was French, but uh, he's he's amazing. You know, he did the uh, the Temple of Man. He wrote the book, The Temple of Man, and he shows how all the architectures are based off a lot of the anatomy and all, a lot of the, uh, you know, the biological advancements we were making in the past and how the temples are actually structured like men, you know, and you walk into the heart chamber and there's all this science of, you know, the, the arteries and, and, and the cardiology, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really amazing. Um, but yeah, I would say those guys and then another person who's not initiated, but is very important would be Gerald Massey. Gerald Massey would be, you know, like extremely important. And his work is extremely deep and hard to get through, uh, but it's worth looking into. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and you know, what? I'll just say this too. I entertain all these ideas. I'm not like strict, like, oh, this is the only idea that can be right. This is just where my research has led me over the years. And I've looked into a lot of stuff, you know, a lot of stuff. And Pretty much whatever people have brought to the table in front of me, I've looked into it almost. I'm not saying I know it all, but I'm saying that I've looked into a lot of stuff over over you know the years, and um, especially when it comes to origins. So, uh, if if you haven't dealt with, and I'll I'll say this here, if you haven't dealt with totemic sociology and like esoteric anthropology, then I don't think that you know, you're really that qualified to understand where the origins are. So you have to look into those things a lot. And a lot of people do. I know you've looked into esoteric anthropology because I know I've heard you talk about it. Uh, maybe not those words specifically, but I know you've talked about uh, the Norse and the pagan traditions and, and, and some of the roots of those. And I really enjoyed that. Um, so I, I would just say that's for the mature students, you know, esoteric anthropology and totemic sociology are for advanced students who are really ready to get there. Oh yeah, you know, to get dirty. Yeah. <laughs> you better be ready to get dirty, because it gets uh, it gets confusing. Because history is ambiguous. You know, mm -hmm. that's the thing. History is ambiguous, and and you can rewrite it any way you want because of the ambiguity. As you go further and further back, as you go further and further back in history, there's less written text, less uh, chronicleers. You know, people who are chronicle chronicalizing you know all the events and um and which makes it easier for you to wrap it around your own narrative you know so you got to be careful about that we have to be very cautious about like we can take this and because there's lack of information in textual form we can wrap it around what and it's not like some people do it intentionally some people don't you know it's for just sure. uh it's just open for interpretation is the way you can look at it right Right. And thank you for saying that. I think that's so absolutely vital, in my opinion, to not be too rigid on your ideas about things, especially on, on matters such as this, that at the end of the day, nobody really knows with a capital K what happened, you know, thousands of years ago. We have ideas and it's great to study and form your own opinions, but not become dogmatic about it. 
and mm-hmm. uh, but especially with with you mentioning the the people that just say history is all fake that's such a you know yawn like that that to me is such a <laughs> intellectually lazy stance to take on something to exonerate yourself from having some responsibility for using discernment and actually having you know Mm-hmm. real opinions about something it's easier to just say oh everything is a lie you know nasa's a lie everything's a lie it's like you know right. that that's such a one-trick pony kind of approach to it it's like of course we're being lied to about a great many things but it's our job to figure out which of those things it is and not just all throw it in the same basket and you know mm-hmm. sail it down the river you know like that's just that anti-scientific mindset that has become all too pervasive in the modern world for sure it's like it's way easier to just kind of take the easy way out than look into it form your own opinions and have some discernment about it absolutely that's why i love discussions like this because it's like put it on the table you know i want to hear what you have to say about this you know Mm -hmm. like let's let's get Graham Hancock in here and see what he thinks, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. I'm not necessarily, I agree with that guy all the way, but yeah, I sent him an email, but he never got back to me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. But it's like, it's like, you know, we have a lot of people looking into these things now, so we're going to have to deal with it in a mature way. And it's not going to be an easy endeavor because it's going to be combative to all of the preconceived notions about history throughout you know, throughout all time, pretty much throughout classical and modern era, you know, and mm-hmm. modern history. So it's going to combat all the religious ideologies because they're going to try to keep you in that loop of the divine right of kings and the, the historical Jesus and all this stuff, which has to keep you in that kind of 6,000 year box. Then you get into alternative groups, which, you know, like Graham Hancock, they're going to take you back into Egypt 30,000 years. And they're going to say, you know, the great flood, the deluge and all this stuff. And then you're going to get into other people who are going to be like extraterrestrials, interference theory, you know, and then you're, that's that may take you back that long. Some people don't even say it's that far back. So it's like, you know, and you got to go through all that stuff is my point. You have to you have to deal with those things at some level, you know, and then when you've dealt with it, then you can start to really see like the importance of the culture, because the way that you're going to understand these things is by studying the culture. You're gonna, you have to study the cultures and the the way the the cultures have evolved because you're not always going to find biological evidence for it. You're not always going to find archaeological remnants of it. You have to study the culture, the ideas, mm-hmm. and follow them throughout history. And that that's done through the symbolism, you know, because they're very simple, very simple symbols, yet they're so profoundly, like we were talking about earlier, so profoundly fractal with how much they can mean and what they can be applied to. So these those rudimentary runes are so powerful. And I, I look at them as like mm. some of the most ancient stellar, uh, like some of the most pure forms. And uh, so I think, I think the Norse people are remnants of the stellar cult, you know, and they're keeping it intact. You wow. know, that's how I look at the Norse. I think that they're some of the people just like the Druids or, you know, some, some of the others I would say is like the Japanese, uh, uh, some of their, mythologies you find that stuff in like if you look at their characters like um um kanji if you look at their kanji characters are, they're very similar you know mm-hmm. and they mimic nature they're not like they're not like our american alphabet the english alphabet you know not just american but the english alphabet sure but um yeah not that there is a knowledge in the english alphabet which i talked about in my presentation but 
that I just did at the the conference, the uh, funnel conference. Absolutely, so. everyone definitely needs to check that out. I'll put a link in the description so everybody can watch that if you're interested on uh, green language and 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 that amazing. Uh, maybe the symbolism stuff can be something we get into next time because that's definitely another topic that I love. And man, we could definitely get down the rabbit hole on that one for sure. <laughs> I bet so. <laughs> uh, yeah, Brandon, man. I could talk to you for hours, brother. Uh, think time to wrap this one up. I think we've really covered a lot of good ground here. Very interesting, and you you know you've gave given a lot of resources now for people if they want to take this on their own investigative journey and take this further with themselves. Um, so if you'd like to go ahead and tell people where they can find you and you know get into more of your work. Uh, yeah, you can find my work on my website, seedtruth.com, and you can also find it on the One Great Work Network. You can go to the creators page, and then I'll be right there at the top, Brandon Martin. And you can also find me on YouTube under Seed Truth Academy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'd say those are the three main places. I'm on Discord or, or um, um, Odyssey and BitChute and stuff like that, and you can find all those links in the uh the seed uh, truth.com website. And then also you can find my podcast where I co-host with Nathan um, called the cubby hole. And you can find that at cubbyhole.com, C U B B Y W H O L E.com. So uh, we have a new episode coming out, I think tomorrow actually. So, nice. you know, it should be pretty good beyond green language and, and symbolism and synchronicity. So cool. Excited about that. Yeah. yeah. Everyone do go give Brandon a follow. He does amazing work. He's been in the game way longer than I have. So a ton of respect for you and the stuff that you've put out, man, over the years. Uh, those links will all be down, down in the description for your convenience. So do check those out. Uh, thank you for watching. I hope you've gotten some value out of this. If you did, again, just hit that like button. It takes one second and it really helps me out. And subscribe and hit that bell so you catch all the new videos coming out. Very excited about the stuff in the works here. Also, the website is now revamped and live again and uh, fully furnished with a brand new shop uh, full of merch designs that I came up with. So uh, definitely check those out. I'm very excited about that as well. So that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thank you again for watching. And until next time, be empowered, be inspired, and be encouraged. <laughs>